Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're joined by a special guest, and we're discussing the historical fantasy sea drama show, The Untamed, in great, great detail. Hello, and welcome to episode 53, The Untamed, aka <laughs> Descent into Sea Drama Hell. I'm Alex, and I'm the Wei Wuxian one. I'm Freya, and I'm the Wen Qing one. I'm Macy, and I am Ni Hui Sang. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about our descent into sea drama <laughs> hell and the untamed. Everybody has been saying, like, please do an episode about the untamed. Here Ta-da! it is, much sooner than expected. Uh, we are also joined by a glamorous <laughs> guest star, <laughs> which we have not had in, like, years, decades. Uh, Roshi, would you like to introduce yourself? Which sure, one are so you? I think, unfortunately, in a spiral, I came to the conclusion that I might be Jiangcheng because <laughs> I just sort of flail and yell and am a little bit of a trash bag. Um, I am, to change things up a little Fair. bit, a black-haired editor intruding on the three redheaded fantasy author coven just for the day, just to talk about The Untamed. Excellent. Um, so I am extremely excited about this episode, and I think all of you are as well. But before we get into the good times, let's make this quick so we can spend <laughs> as much time as talk- possible talking about The Untamed. Uh, what have we been reading, fellow serpents, and possibly Roshi? I read the latest romance by Talia Hibbert, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, which I'd been reading for for a while and finally got from the library. It's a very charming rom-com about a girl with chronic pain who has... Uh, near miss with a traffic accident and comes to the conclusion she needs to make her life more adventurous and exciting and sets out to do this with the help of her sexy neighbor and they fall in love. Of course. Surprise. I really like Talia Hibbert's romances and I really enjoyed this one. And then through reasons, <laughs> some of which we can actually lay at the feet of our glamorous guest star. Yeah, it's Roshi's I fault. take no responsibility. <laughs> I and fell and reread. <laughs> Three out of the five of the Megan Whalen Turner Thief series, which are some of my favorite books in the world. As you will know, dear listeners, from the many, many times I have attempted to get my fellow serpents to read them, but it's okay. I have a friend now. I don't need you guys. We'll do our best. (laughs) Listen, first of all. Not to turn the entire episode into a Megan Whalen Turner episode. We'll try. First of all, Freya, I don't think five was the number I've been being quoted. I think I've been being quoted three, Freya. Freya. There are five. God. But the thing is that number two is excellent and number three is the peak of literature. This is entirely correct. And then you just read four and five because they're enjoyable. Ah, anyway, uh, anyway, this week, Macy, I have been reading, okay, actual books that I have finished. I finished On Grand Strategy and I'm mad about that fact. Um, I read The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling, which is creepy and fucked up and all about a caver with many, many issues, nearly dying repeatedly and was glorious. I also read Wilder Girls, which is kind of like... I'm about to say Treasure Island, which is not the island I mean. What's the island I mean? Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies, but with gay uh, boarding school girls who are slowly turning into plant monsters, maybe? And that's very much your YA and it's delicious. But the problem with what I've been reading in the past two weeks, I went and did some maths, darling listeners. 
I have bookmarked, and note that I bookmark about 50% of what I read, 980,000 words of untamed fanfic since December 1st. Good lord. I mean, you say problem, Macy. I think we can reframe this as a million fucking words. And what's worse, 860,000 words of scum villain fic since December 25th. Darling listeners, it's January (laughs) fucking 3rd. See, when you first started talking about scum villain fic, I was like, is this a code word for something? (laughs) Like, who is the scum villain in all of the canons that we're currently talking about? I did not realize it was its own thing. It's its own fandom. I just want to note that it is untranslated and unadapted. So the fact that you've read 860,000 words of fic is just like, we should double the word count to to account for that. Listen, okay, in my- that, fa- That's peak Macy, fairness, really. 460,000 words of that was Palace Harim AU, which is so much my bullshit that I can't even describe it. Alex, save us. Yeah, I have only been reading untamed oh fanfiction. Um, I also wrote 30,000 <laughs> words of untamed fanfiction since uh, the week of Christmas and put it on uh, AO3. How much did you write, Macy? 17,000 across seven different fics, each of them from a completely different point of view. Yeah, anyway, we're writing untamed fic hey, now. Uh, is apparently the yes. thing. <laughs> do you want to fess up, Freya, or nah? Oh, I've written 27,000 words. Oh, God. <laughs> well done. Good job all around, it's fine. everyone. It's fine. Um, I also did some knitting and watched some Letter Kenny last night. I just want to give a shout out to the fic that I was just reading right before mm. this episode. The name of this fic is Linger in the Sun by Etymology Playground. Uh, and it is fantastic. <laughs> and I died. Uh, that's about it, uh, Rishi. Um, I mean, do you want to tell us things you have read? Mostly. A also really humiliating amount of fic just just <laughs> straight my one brain cell has just been working on that and then um a lot of very yep. exciting things for work that i can't talk about so so mostly oh. mostly fic i am now yep. just a trash bag full of untamed fic that's all i am yep that's all any <laughs> yep, of us are. Yep, yep. Oh, and darling listeners, if you want to have some Rex, there's already a Rex set written up that is the December Patreon reward, which I posted in January because, as aforementioned, we are trash bags. Yes, yes. Um, also, a small piece of news. This is now year three of the podcast. Welcome to year three. <laughs> oh, I don't know how we've done it this long. Um, this is very strange to me. Continue whimpering, Macy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that... It's just so many years, and I don't understand. It's so many years. It is a lot. And I'm confused. So let's have a fucking let's episode, Let's have a fucking episode, friends. wherein I lay all responsibility for all of this madness at the feet at which it belongs, which is Freya. our only dignified serpent. Freya, explain yourself. I gladly Freya. accept the tribute of your blade. Take responsibility. Take Freya, responsibility. Take responsibility now. <laughs> all right. <laughs> The grand backstory of this entire fucking mess, my friends, (laughs) is that a friend of mine on Twitter, or possibly a couple of friends, kept referring to something called the Gay Chinese Lyman Show. Oh, God. And quite predictably, (laughs) I was like, ooh, tell me more about that. I learned some more about that. I tripped and fell headlong. I dragged the serpents in. 
Macy dragged Roshi in. Yeah. And now all of Macmillan Publishing is in this pit with us. It's delightful. (laughs) I feel like all of Macmillan is strong. Yeah, I want to clarify. You dragged Macy into it a couple weeks before you dragged me into it because I was resisting. I was like, no, I I won't do this. I won't. But as has previously been uh, mentioned in other episodes, we're essentially one media consumer at this point. And so I was like, it is inevitable. I may as well just like succumb to this. I maintain that it was not my fault that Roshi mentioned missing Lymond on Twitter and how was I meant to resist? She came in like a shark. It was truly terrifying. <laughs> I I crumpled so fast and just a tiny bit of background just as to how vulnerable I was in that instant. The, I think this happened at some point in the middle of the week when Macy got me on Twitter. <laughs> Um, that Sunday, I spent an entire Sunday doing nothing but lying on the couch and reading the entire Captive Prince trilogy and then eating with one hand so that I would not have to physically put down the book. Slightly later in the week, I tweeted sadly about how I loved a perfectly executed Lyman character as a direct result of my Captive Prince vulnerability. Macy scented blood and came straight in and... Like two weeks later, half of Tor had watched like between five and 35 episodes of the show. Actually, I feel the need to mention that in the same thread that I got Roshi, I also got Emily Tesh and Jen Lyons. Yes, that's true. So actually, that's a good, that's some pattern recognition I had not picked up on before because when I was in a point to be very susceptible to someone yelling (laughs) about Lyman on Twitter, we had just done, well, I had just done an entire Captive Prince reread for our enemies to lovers episode so Ah, that's the way it goes anyway and then the next step the next step was that roshi sort of slid into my dms like alex alex i need a friend (laughs) who has seen this show and i'm like i'm still watching this show but (laughs) we can provide i was really the only one of the serpents that you knew at that point like macy had gotten you into it but you no no you were you were my like thread of a i mean from my point of view (laughs) What had happened is that I had been pulled underwater and I was sort of flailing around and drowning in my own feelings and then was seeking someone to take responsibility. And we had talked before and that was that was enough. That was enough. So I was like, Alex, please yeah. help. Throw me a rope. Throw me anything. Something. And Alex was like, here is the person to blame. My, my darling, darling redheaded serpents and blackheaded editor friend. I claim that it is past time for us to make All Freya right. explain what the fuck this television nonsense is. I agree. Okay, oh, yeah. monologue time with Freya. <laughs> so, The Untamed is the English name of a Netflix aired t- television show. It is based on a very popular online published Chinese novel, which was the translated English name of that is Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation. Fantastic Da-da. name. Um, it has also been adapted into an animated series and an audio drama, I believe, before it mm. became a live-action TV show. So, of The Untamed, the show, which is what we are mostly going to be talking about, I haven't actually read the novel. I think, Alex, you've read bits of the novel? I have read exclusively <laughs> the sex scenes in the novel. Oh, no, I've read the sex scenes. Okay, that's fine. We're all on the same page. In regards I love that everyone's like, well, well, obviously. <laughs> uh, so, this is of a genre of Chinese historical fantasy called Xianxia. It is a story with two timelines. The past timeline shows how our protagonist, the chaotic bi- disaster bisexual Wei Wuxian, became a dark lord in his late teens and then died. 
Yep. Except he's not actually a Dark Lord. He's someone who starts experimenting with these sort of frowned upon techniques that are considered corrupting. And then he gets vilified for trying to stop a genocide. And his bad reputation then gets exploited by the actual villain. Yeah. And then we have the present day timeline, which is after he has been handwave resurrected into the body (laughs) of a revenge-driven twink. Yeah. And... In the present day, he and his one true love, the distinguished gay Lan Wangji, who has been pining tragically <laughs> for sixteen say, years. Can I just the say how widower. much I appreciate the widower, the, the, wi- the distinguished gay widower? Can I just say how much I appreciate that you're giving us the classifications: chaotic bisexual, distinguished gay. <laughs> yeah, I believe in that classification. It is very useful. Continue. Anyway, distinguished gay has been pining tragically for sixteen years after his dead boyfriend. And the two of them then go around solving ghost, hun- ghost hunting mysteries with their adopted teenage son and some other babies. And along the way, they untangle the mystery of who framed Wei Wuxian when he was alive. That is the Ta-da! show. Very well I would not describe this as a good show. The, two, the first two episodes are bizarrely confusing yeah. and have some kind of dubious acting choices. The plot is extremely full of holes you could use to drain pasta. The CGI <laughs> is dodgy, but fine. it will fine. make you feel every fucking one of your feelings, and we highly recommend it regardless. They they needed a corpse budget of $10 million and instead had a hair budget of $10 million. Here's what yes. I'm going to say. I have two things to say. First of all, the first two episodes, yes, extremely confusing. You're going to feel like you have started with accidentally book six of a fantasy series but then at the end or possibly of, that you're on acid or possibly that you're no i feel more like you're just it's that sensation of being lost and like there's so many established characters with so much backstory and you're like i have no idea who any of these people are or what's Mason going and on. i spent the first episode and a half convinced that yeah. Jiang Cheng was his ex-boyfriend. Yeah, that was yeah. like the ch- people were like, "Is he like the childhood love?" Wait, I did not know this. So much. <laughs> that we was were the very point confused. at which they were very confused. That was the point at which I had to open a character wiki for the novel, spoiled myself instantly for every single plot oh, twist, no. and was like, "Oh well, at least now I know who's related and yeah. who's not." <laughs> the other point I was going to make is that the CGI budget, to its credit, is better than what's in Guardian. That's Wait, true. it gets worse. Yes. yes. No, Guardians, Guardians is don't so go bad. Oh my god, the last time Alex nearly got me. In fact, the last but two times, because the last time that Alex got me was Oh My General, which was marginally better because it didn't try. Yeah. But Guardian <laughs> is spectacularly god-awful. Spectacularly. Like, even, the cat, even the cat transformation and following up cat puppet is just like, Listen. it's a stuffed animal on a stick. Listen, I've seen enough of Guardian that I looked at the CGI of the Untamed and went, huh, this isn't bad. I would like to note that the Untamed also has two extremely bad animal muppets as far as i can tell that that are supposed to feature the okay. wolf dog the the dog thing. i still hold that that giant dog thing was oh two when disciples oh in a costume specifically trying to terrify Wei Wuxian. Uh, I had so many problems with that because it was meant to be this deeply affecting scene, but for unknown reasons the actor playing Wei Wuxian decided to do the dog phobia thing terribly yeah like yeah. every single yeah. dog scene it was just overacted to comic relief yeah. like, this could have been a very like poignant character but... note for this person and they're like a muppet and he's gonna whimper in the corner like but also anyway. correct me if i'm wrong freya but i believe at that point we actually hadn't established that he had a dog phobia no, no, they just don't explain most of this shit. No, like, <laughs> we establish it very strongly later, after the one key point when we're supposed to understand why it is so traumatizing that they put him in a room with a big dog in it. 
Like yeah. this is meant to be torture. Makes it look like he's a real fucking wimp. <laughs> that Speaking I don't think of... I even clocked that. I I like fixed it in my head. I think. Because, <laughs> yeah. And the dog phobia is also like like exactly like Freya was saying. It could have been very poignant. Like the backstory is that he was like attacked by dogs as a child, living starving yep. on the streets, but. The whole show and the actor play it as if it's a rom-com heroine's weird quirk. Yep. And, like, that is the yep. tone they maintain I mean, throughout. I mean, where's the lie, though? <laughs> Boshi, I think you wanted to, at some point, to have a quick note about some of the context changes between the novel and the show. So the, the novel in Chinese is and that's the thing that translates to the Grandmaster of Demonic con- uh, Cultivation. I don't know why I almost said continent there. Um, but <laughs> it is explicitly queer in the source material. Um, but in the adaptation, there are some real censorship challenges that come with anything coming out of mainland China. So the adaptation mm-hmm. cannot depict the explicit queerness. Um, however, the the people who made the show have clearly made the decision to make it as horny as humanly possible. <laughs> and to use every Not cinematography odd. trick up their sleeves uh, to make us sort of almost hallucinate the kissing. So like that, <laughs> we, we, we do, we do want to be upfront about that. Like that, that is sort of yeah. a barrier and, and a situation that it's in, but, um, but there is, it's barely subtext. Just barely yeah. subtext. And the fact that yeah. they can't actually make out on screen means that every time they take each other gently by the wrist or the <laughs> yearning like, glance, change a very, you know, intense glance. Exchange just, three it, bows before Wei Wushan's ancestors. Oh, they uh-huh, get married uh-huh. every like, six times Titans on screen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they get married yeah. so many. They adopt a child There's together. There's a plot relevant. They adopt a child together. Literally, they adopt a child together. There's a plot relevant love song. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. as yeah. gay Episode as it could possibly. Episode 14 includes a music video of their love story. <laughs> Jesus like, Christ. Like, just canonically on screen in the episode. It's right there. <laughs> Which is essentially Lung Lung flashing back to every single time Wei Wuxian has ever smiled. It is a music video yeah. devoted to his smile from the point of yep. view of Lai Monty, And it's beautiful. It's <laughs> Should we stop yelling incoherently and try to yell coherently? Let's no. talk about Wei Wushan and let's talk about the Yunmeng Zhang. Okay. Cause Go, Macy. Macy? Oh, God. No. <laughs> when, I, when I raise a topic, the entire point is that it doesn't have to be me who talks about it. You nope. were the one nope. who added this oh, dot point. Yeah, take responsibility for your dot point, Macy. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so darling listeners, you have to understand that there is also this thread through i guess this novel and other novels by this author and presumably it's a chinese translation thing where someone says take responsibility and they mean marry the person you fucked <laughs> like you deflowered this person now marry them. well it's like how in regency <laughs> novels as well like if you're caught like kissing someone in the library like you have you're to you're married now you're married now like <laughs> otherwise it is a scandal and, and so this is why I have put uh, take responsibility everywhere because. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Macy, tell us so something Wei about Wushan Wei Wuxian. Is um, Wei Wuxian is an orphan who whose parents were these rogue cultivators uh, who died when he was small and left him out on the street on his own, which is where he developed this uh, phobia of dogs. And he gets adopted by the sect leader of one of the five major cultivation sects, which I guess are kind of like, I don't know, clans? Like a mixture between noble houses and like houses that have a a magical and martial function. 
yeah, yeah it's like a I magic think if they had taken like two more steps then we would be able to do a sorting house yeah. thing with these clans if they had like slightly delineated them a little bit more in terms of character can. but you that would involve can. organization but... which no <laughs> well, version of this, which no version of this material has ever thought about it's or attempted fair, it's fair. But they have they are color coded for your convenience and they have little symbols um and so Wei Wuxian gets adopted by the purple clan with the lotus symbol um and is essentially treated as the head student but not a biological son of the family and bonds very closely in the cutest relationship in this show of horrors with his oldest sister and younger brother, Zhang Yanli and Zhang Chang. Which is Roshi. So Jiangsheng is like <laughs> he has never said a sentence in a normal way. If he has, <laughs> if he has been given the option to just yell it instead, yell. and has yep. like strong only child energy, considering all of his problems yep. stem from his issues with his siblings. Which is, yep. I don't even know how he functions as a character. Um, I will find this actual link and like make it available to everybody. But there was a very funny Tumblr post that uh, delineated the levels of Asian parenting with various yep. characters on this show. And Jiangshan's mother, who we will dive into very soon, who is an incredible person who everyone should want to step on their necks immediately, yes. um, is, <laughs> is delineated as level five Asian parenting because she is absolutely terrifying and holds him to an impossible <laughs> standard um, and simultaneously doesn't give him an ounce of respect, but expects him to be a peerless, flawless son cultivator and heir to her clan. And she recognizes that Wei Wuxian is superior in many ways to her son. Mm -hmm. and this eats her alive. And the additional wrinkle to all of this is that she believes very firmly and probably correctly that her husband was deeply in love with Wei Wuxian's mother, which yep. is why it's awkward. he was adopted into the clan in the first place. And the the subtext is that like he was raised above his station. He should never have been put in a situation where he thought he could act like a blood sibling to either of yep. them since he is their servant. He can be a disciple, but not an actual sibling. Um, but that's not the way it played out. So um, <laughs> I cannot, sorry, my brain is still going back to the fact that you all thought Xiangcheng was his ex in the first episode. Well, and I'm okay. like there was a scene very early on where he looks into a river and he sees a, like a flashback thing of oh, that's Yan Li being like, oh, you, me, and Chung, we will be together forever. And I was in Nirvana in fire headspace. So I was thinking about it oh, in yeah, terms yeah, yeah, yeah. of that checks the out. way that Mei Chang Su thinks about yep. um, the princess and yep. uh, Prince Ding. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. So they were like a little trio when they were younger. That's fine. I, nobody had mentioned the word sibling. Freya's brain is everywhere. Freya sees OT3s everywhere. If Freya sees any grouping of three people, Freya's like, they're all That's in love together. <laughs> Yes. This show also has like 75 different groupings of three people oh that God. are in various romantic, but also sibling like triangles. So like they're, it's, it's a running theme. It gets very confusing. Dimple son. Yep. Dimple son. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But the, the, the I feel like there's just so many loaded uses of Gege. Oh God. And <laughs> JJ. Just like, mm. oh, and all of the femme slash uh, like gender swap pairings use JJ as like the flirty term of endearment i'm like that means sister for context in in shiny like they're playing with it 
like deliberately yeah. like in Chinese it does come up as like a little it does come <laughs> off as flirty and especially when you're yep. specifically saying like gaga with the repetition as opposed to just gu, and um or <laughs> with the repetition with the repetition so there's a lot mm-hmm. of like incredibly slutty vocal delivery on this show that I personally (laughs) really enjoy and um and I I've said this in in our endless untamed chat but I really think that the beauty of it is that it's a bunch of disaster palace drama weirdos who have been trapped in a ciencia world and are like oh shit what now what do (laughs) We don't really want to fight zombies. Do we have to? But the okay, the 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 Lotus Trio is not kissing siblings for once. Thank you, uh, thank you, show gods. No. Um, and each of them has their own really quite adorable romance line. Apart from Zhang Cheng, who like whose is love useless dies horribly because that's fine. That's yeah. everything. It just should have given. It's actually given her two combs. You fuck up. <laughs> it's it's quite remarkable you, that. Jiang Yanli is as emotionally intelligent as she is. Like, where did she get that from? It's a true miracle. No one. No one. Because it's not her father. <laughs> it's just and it's like not her descended mother. Descended from the sky it's, upon no, her. No, it's, it's the natural. Okay, Macy, Freya, both of you are elder siblings. Oh, God, no. Yeah, you're not wrong. Okay. Yeah. Yanli got it just because she was the, the oldest sister. Because, That's... Her, because her siblings were disasters, she had to yes. in compensation. Actually. But, I mean, we have a running joke that she and her love interest are Jane and Bingley Bingley. because they are complete disasters at talking to one another in a very Jane and Bingley way. And I think you're right. That's how Jane Bennett came to be. Yes. Mm -hmm. Everyone else in her family is a trash fire to one extent or another. And she just reflexively out of eldest sibling magic became sweet and angelic. Yeah. 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 It's like default setting. Do we think this explains Zichen as well? Like Lan Zichen? Uh, Yes. Who is also older sibling angelic. For sure. For sure, because of my theory that I posited in our group chat the other day. And dear listeners, I am so sorry that this episode is so incoherent and that we keep referencing our group chat. But I posited a theory uh, a couple days ago that uh, Lan Wingji must have been the distinguished gay, uh, must have been in his his childhood very rowdy and rambunctious and uh, ill-behaved because of how the romance with Wei Wishan is structured later on, how he looks at Wei Wishan and sort of has this yearning in his eyes, like, I wish that I could be that way. I wish that I could let myself have that part of myself. Um, so yes, I do think that his older brother, Lan Zichen, sort of compensated and w- had to be like the calm, cool, collected. I don't know. I don't, I don't see Lan Wangji that way because I see him as like, the traumatized stubborn one who was a problem he's like a massive fucking problem but not mm. in that way because okay so here's the um parallel there's a lot of very poignant work done in this show in very little space which is one of the things like we might talk about it as not being a quote-unquote good show but it does a mm. lot of things very subtly and very well and one of those things is the parallels in it draws and the parables it illustrates with the pasts of everyone's parents, right? So mm. you have Wei Wushan who had two parents who loved each other deeply and kind of walked away from all of the games and the power struggles in order to be happy by themselves. And eventually it killed them, right? Um, and then you have Lan Wangji, his husband, his devoted pining gay, whose mother murdered his father's teacher. 
And the father's reaction to this was, I love her and she doesn't want to marry me, but to protect her, I will marry her and lock her away and get two children on her. In a very Mr. Rochester kind of way. Yeah, and I there's this great fic that I will have to look up later that's still underway um, that posits, uh, that's all about the mothers, Sangse Sanren and uh, Lang Wanji's mother, rescuing each other and running away to form a sect in the woods. And it posits that maybe the teacher who she murdered had raped her. And mm. that's, that's where Lan Zichen comes from. And like that would explain a lot of things. Why would you marry her? Well, she's pregnant. Like her, her mm. honor has been destroyed. Um, and so the show does something very interesting with like these pining parents um, and what that did to Lan Wangji to see that his mother and father both kind of locked themselves away from contact and how that damaged him as a child and how that had him reaching out for Wei Wuxian, who is this bubbly ray of sunshine chaos energy ball uh, when they were teenagers together. But let's talk a little bit about Lan Wangji's angst fest. Oh my god, yes, please. <laughs> I love him. Let's interrogate some trauma. <laughs> Let's interrogate some trauma. Before we, like, can we also just physically sure. describe both of them and then launch into how, like, incredibly beautiful they both are, but specifically yeah. Lounge and how that feeds into the angst fest and the trauma mm. and his reputation and all of the character setup you're about to dive into. So Lan Wangji... Also known <laughs> as the second peerless jade of Lan. Because there's a ranking of, canonically, there's a ranking of like the five Hotness. most beautiful bachelors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and Lan Chen, his older brother, is number one. And <laughs> Lan Wanji, the distinguished gay, is number two. And Wei Wishan, I think, is like four, right? Yeah. So I don't remember who the others I are. I think Lan Zichen, um, Jin Zixuan, who is Yenny's. Uh, fiance the peacock is three, is three. yeah and yeah five is that makes I sense. Know, five is jung chung one yeah. one step behind his brother like always <laughs> as always like always <laughs> yeah lan wangji is an ice prince who is always dressed in these billowing robes of palest blue or later as we will discuss morning white with long silky hair and just billowing everything and we are convinced that every single person on that mountain has a massive crush on this unattainable statuesque boy yeah and like, he he is he is expressionless and stoic and reserved and cool and he's one of those people who'd be a very safe recipient of a crush in yes. the teens yes because he's so untouchable and he was brought up in this Lan sect where everything is about rules and good behavior and reaching high cultivation through discipline. Mm. And it'd be very easy to look at him and see, yes, he's unattainable. He's impossibly good. He's impossibly honorable. I'll just like stare at him and lust from a distance. And the <laughs> and wonderful thing about Wei Wuxian and is that he looks at that and goes, I'm going to crack that wide open. <laughs> I'm going to get him so messy <laughs> through the force of my personality. I am going and then he to does. make him swear at me yeah and i also want to say for people who are getting like stuck in the first few episodes or even like the first <laughs> stretch lamanji's thing is that he he doesn't like you have to train yourself to read his micro expressions yeah. because he is mm -hmm. like an untouchable uncrackable <laughs> pillar of ice and by the time you have, then when he's doing tiny little things with his face, it's the equivalent of other people yelling or screaming or being jiancheng, really. Yeah. But in the early goings, you're like, does this person 
emote? Have a soul? Does he, (laughs) like, is he alive, truly, in this scene? Unknown? And where was Shan, as a contrast, is one of the few characters who doesn't dress in his sect's colours. He wears black and red a lot of the time because we have to understand that he's the villain. Um, and Quote, he's unquote, always the running around and flinging himself on things he probably wears black in honesty because he gets so much mud on himself that Madame Yu was like I'm not fucking washing that again yeah yeah, and it's delightful because it means that very occasionally in like one or two glorious episodes you just see him in like red underwear yeah <laughs> he's just like lounging <laughs> yep. wedding red yep. on Lan Wan Ji's couch yep. being like oh oh I'm so hurt and you're like oh dear please cover your collarbone sir <laughs> But someone talk to me about widower Lan Wangji. Where do we even start? Raising their adopted son. Who wants to traumatize our listeners with the grief of Lan Wangji? So in the first, like, 30 seconds of the first episode, you find out that Wei Bishan dies uh, by being thrown off a cliff. Yeeted. Uh, or falling off a cliff. Yeeted off a cliff. Thank you, Macy. Thank you. He gets better. Semi, semi a self <laughs> It was a self honestly. Stealthy, yeah. He, he, he decided to yeet himself off the cliff he, for the best, for the betterment of all. It was a complicated situation. <laughs> I'm still not sure what happened exactly. Um, a yeet was done <laughs> by someone. Unto Wei Wushan. A yeet was done unto Wei Wushan. Cool. Um... <laughs> Fortunately, he gets better, but it takes like 16 years. And in those 16 years, uh, his devoted husband, Lang Wanji, uh, pines for ages and is like obsessed. Uh, pause. His devoted husband, who at the time of this eating was hanging off a cliff, holding him with a blood-stained hand, yeah. begging him not to yeah. do it. Yeah, yep, it's yeah. A lot. And then yelled his intimate name at him. And this is the first time this person's face has ever, like, broken from oh my, the micro-expressions. Oh my god, yes. Like, he emotes so hard in this. And, like, you don't realize it until you see this scene a second time. Because by that time, like, 33 episodes later, when you get to see this death happen a second time... <laughs> The fucking structure of this goddamn show, I swear. It happens like 16 years ago. And then you find out that, okay, then it flashes forward 16 years and you find out like how uh, Wei Bishan got better. And then it goes back into the flashback 16 years, years ago, 19 years ago. So you can find out how everything happened that led up to Wei Bishan getting yeeted off a cliff. Anyway, for those 16 years that he's dead, because we're really focusing on Lan Wanji right now. Len Wenji is like wandering around, like playing a ghost Ouija board, basically. Like, Wei Sean, are you there? Speak to me. And like not being able to to like commune with the ghost or communicate with him. And just plays sad music everywhere and looks dramatically off into the distance, very elegant and wistful. Uh and wears widow widow's whites. Uh f- like he goes in mourning for the rest of the show, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and we don't actually get to see most of all of the 16 years of pining happen, but you can intuit pretty hard what happened. And then occasionally the show just drops in some beautiful little, like, eyedroppers of trauma. <laughs> like, oh, by the way, when he came back from failing to save the love of his life, he was punished by being whipped and then locked in a cave for three years so he couldn't go looking for him. And then at some point in the intervening time, branded himself on the chest so he would match his dead boyfriend's brand, which was gotten accidentally during a battle. Oh my god, it's such drama. <laughs> it is. And you just... It, that, that, the, the brand thing was never explained. Just, he just sees it and is like, oh no, oh my gee, what's happened? And then you get this like micro-expression, <laughs> robes on, and you're like, what? <laughs> Explain this! 
It is yeah. only explained through their like their combined like broken facial expressions and like the only way yeah. you as a viewer can possibly <laughs> interpret it is that he he was like I would rather be in horrible pain that is at least in parallel with my dead boyfriends than feel like a normal human being in any way. Or process my trauma at all. We don't do that in this house. But there is, and this is the thing where I get so mad at the structure of this fucking show. There is this beautiful, beautiful scene in episode two. um, wherein So the one thing that we forgot to mention about the self-yeet scene is that... You have beautiful, peerless Lan Wangji hanging off the edge of the cliff, clutching at the arm of his love, the only love of his life. Yeah. And then what should happen but along wonders said love's brother, Zhang Chang, and stabs the rock next to where they are holding on to each other, which causes Wei Wushan to let go. Yeah. So in episode two, we have this glorious meeting between... Lan Wangji at the head of a school of ducklings in Lan White's because I forgot to mention this show is full of big dad energy. So much. There's so many dads oh and even more uncles. So like, many uncles. Like, there's there's like, we have to we have to specify this is dad energy, not, daddy not energy. daddy energy. Definite just parent energy. Yeah. Ming Zhu kind of has daddy energy, but nobody else. Anyway, but um, um, <laughs> this scene happens where. Zhang Cheng wanders through this forest, hoiking his own dis- his own disciples up by the ears because they've been misbehaving. And Lan Wangji shows up with his ducklings, and Zhang Cheng who are beautifully behaved. Zhang Cheng tries to talk to Lan Wangji, and Lan Wangji stares dutifully off into the distance as if the fluttering of a bird has happened, and forces his adopted son to do all of the speaking to him because he's still not talking to Zhang Cheng for that time when he killed his husband. <laughs> Note that Zhang Chang I mean, is a legit, sect though. leader. And then later they drink tea at each other. It's no, amazing. as soon as as soon as Zhang Chang starts to like ignore him, Lan Wenji turns around and like glares at the side of his head yeah. with the most evil eye but I have ever seen. I am mad because that scene is absolutely fucking glorious and you yeah. don't understand a jot of it. It makes zero sense. It has no significance because it happens in episode two, not in episode 35 where it fucking belongs. I'm sorry for all of the swearing, but it's how I feel. And that's exactly what I mean by it feels like you're starting with book six of a fantasy series. Like that's the sort of lost because you don't understand the the impact or the importance of anything that's happening. Echoing exactly what you're saying in that if you attempt at any point in this show to put like a logical like plot <laughs> organizational brain on any choices that it makes, like you will dissolve into madness. Like there's no other choice. I mean, it's a show that it's 50 episodes. The first two episodes are wildly confusing, introduce about 150 characters, give you beautiful scenes like that that don't become beautiful until after you've seen 35 more episodes. If you're still hanging in there at that point goes into a 33-episode flashback um, (laughs) before it returns to the present timeline. But then the flip side of this is that any time the show was given a choice of, should I be restrained or should I go for the most melodramatic orchestral, like, display of insane emotion possible it has never ever 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 chosen route one so you you kind of have to it giveth and it taketh like it there are so (laughs) many frustrating things about it but they're also what make it stick in your head like a virus it's a lot it's a lot but 
I think that it might be time for us to veer a little bit more fanish because Alex promised me a rant. Oh, uh, man, I did promise you a rant. Okay, so here's the rant, dear listeners. The TLDR, it's going to be a rant about porn, um, as so many of my rants are. <laughs> um, are you sure? Are we thinking of you or are we thinking of that's me? Most, well, I'm going to say, Alex, most of your rants are about fabric or like uh, mythic things. I was I was trying to be funny, right. but okay. Let Alex have the porn. Alex, I'm have the porn. <laughs> Let's go. go. Here's here's my porn rant, which is that I'm fandom fandom. I'm speaking to you right now. I love you guys. You need to get a little bit less hmm, weird about how you interpret people's sexual fetishes. Let Wang Xian be kinky. Two K twenty is kind of the the thesis statement of this rant here. So I read the the sex scenes in the novel, and then I read the fic of the novel, and there is a dramatic difference in how they're interpreting this stuff and this character development and so forth. And I think that this is kind of, we're veering a little bit away from specifically the untamed, because this is a thing that fandom does quite Mm -hmm. often, which is that when they're confronted with characters who are canonically kinky in some way or who are having that like canonically kinky energy one thing i have noticed is that they will ascribe like really feminine characteristics to whoever is more submissive of the partnership Mm. and then sort of you see all this really sad internalized misogyny come out where the more submissive partner is actually not as invested in the sex or as enthusiastic about connecting with their partner in this way and it's upsetting to me that like first of all you're going to feminize this character who in a gay ship shouldn't really be feminized that way anyway that's kind of weird and a whole different rant but also like feminine doesn't mean like having this this upsetting and kind of naturally dub con passivity passivity yes in approach to a sex life I'm just not seeing the the kind of like relationship dynamic that I want to see from these characters. I will come at that from a slightly different perspective. I think if we are talking just about the show and if you're basing characterization just on the show, you are going to come into writing sex between these characters very differently mm. to if you have what if you have actually read the novel. Yeah, I mean naturally, just the of, course, sex scenes. of course. Because I think and again, I haven't read as much fic as you. But that is the one thing I would say is that you would be able to read a lot more into that relationship as is in the show because everything is left unspoken right. in terms of the explicit nature of the relationship. Yeah. You could pretty much put whatever dynamic you want on it. And if you want to just be like, they've been so sad for so long, let them hug for a while. That's fine. But also, I think having read the sex scenes of the novel, a lot of people are to a certain extent, and we can argue as to whether this is good or not. As they are writing fanfic, they are replicating what is portrayed Mm. for good or bad in the novel. And it may be a translation issue. Bouncing kind of, I think the the handling of kink and fic is also, it also has to do with sort of the different versions of canon. Because I think a lot of people are mixing, there's so many different adaptations. Um, the, The English language translation that's available of the novel is an amateur one since there isn't an officially licensed one. So... I've heard the Chinese fandom call the show basically fan fiction of the novel because Mm -hmm. it does Mm -hmm. veer off. Like there's a lot of adaptation choices and not just the obvious one about the central relationship. There 
are lots of other adaptation choices that are happening. And and I think a lot of the fic is sort of cherry picking what makes sense. So mm-hmm. like the author seems to have a really fixed idea about what the relationship is. I don't think that actually comes across in the show as strongly and the show actually in a weird way like opens up a lot more possibility in terms of how a writer might want to play it um and like we've been making all of these sort of regency comparisons to the show so i know we've kind of led and come in hot with like this is the super horny chinese sword gay necromancer show um but if you're a fan of austin adaptations and if you're a fan of regency like the novel and the show are playing off of I, I hesitate to say like the equivalent Chinese literature tropes because it's that's a little reductive, obviously, but sort of very broadly, when I say it has palace drama elements to it, what I mean yeah. is that it has court drama elements to it. So if you are somebody who really enjoys how do people specifically address each other and does that make any interaction kinkier than it needs to be this show (laughs) this this show has got it for you and things like it will train you to be like oh my god a collarbone and earlier when Freya was saying (laughs) lounge about in his underwear I feel like some people who have not watched the show are envisioning him in like boxer briefs and what she means is that he is covered from neck to ankle in a robe in one robe but it's only one robe and by the time and pants that's trousers too. Oh yeah, he definitely does have the trousers on. <laughs> yeah. But by the time Okay, technically technically he has his undershirt, his under robe and his trousers on. <laughs> there are... He's missing his over robe and that makes but him in his underwear. There are a lot yes. of layers. There are a lot of layers. You get trained to the point where you see like a flash of ankle or collarbone and it feels like somebody has just stripped nude on the screen. Yeah. And or like where where like somebody touching someone's wrist suddenly carries the weight of oh, like a brutal two. kiss. And like and this is happening all the time. So it's like a strange like Macy, what you were saying earlier about how weirdly subtle it can be, considering how yeah. broad the writing often is, it feels like it's veering between like pure, pure, pure melodrama, and then these like strangely really subtextual touches, and that's where the yeah. richness comes from. And and yeah, it, it is it is funny to see like how the fandom is handling that and translating that into the kink and into the way that that the fic comes out. This is one of those things that reminds me almost of how I feel about the Robert Jackson Bennett books, which is I'm mad about how much stuff you got in here. Yeah. Like, it just does so much with the space that it uses without you necessarily realizing it. There's a bit later on where um, Wei Wuxian is wearing Lan Wangji's undershirt Yes, like God. underneath his normal robes, because that's what he had to hand. But I mean, he'd also just woken up in Lan Wangji's bed, so it's not exactly subtle. And you see Lan Wangji's brother see that Wei Wuxian is wearing his baby brother's undershirt and going, uh-huh. But there's no words, and it's not even a particularly um, explicit expression. But with regards to how they get portrayed in fic, I think it's probably fair to say that I've read the most fic in this fandom I'm, at this point. I'm not going to argue with you on that. <laughs> um, and one thing that I will say that I've noticed is this ship is so sweet. Yeah. Right? They are so soft and in love with each other. And married. Um, and married that... Even get-together fics that are in AUs get to that point eventually. And so there's less exploration of different dynamics between them sexually, I think, just because there's such a clear romantic dynamic Mm. between them. Mm. But yes, let's talk about some of the tropes that this does. Freya, tell me how you feel about identity porn. 
Well, Macy, thank you for asking. <laughs> this show does a couple of different identity porn tropes, which I do really like. I think you could argue that for maximum effect they could have kept his identity post-resurrection secret from his loved one for longer but at the same time it is quite satisfying that his loved one sees through this in like 0.25 seconds and is like clearly this is my husband while everyone else so, is like wow who is this is this random person dressed exactly like Wei Wuxian playing with flute exactly like Wei Wuxian in fact he plays the flute very very badly um, but in the novel Wei Wuxian believes that Lan Wangji has not figured out who he is for a very long time. Bless his heart. <laughs> um, and he believes that Wei Wuxian thinks that he is the body that he has possessed. So, darling listeners, this show, in order to resurrect its main character, has another random character basically sacrifice himself to be possessed by this devil so that the devil will kill his family for him. Yeah. Right? This is Mo Zhuan Yu. And in the show, he is said to have hit on the wrong wife of someone important. In the book, he is disgraced because he's gay and he hit on his half-brother. Um, and so Wei Wuxian comes back and is like, oh, Lan Wangji has captured me. Oh no, he thinks that I am this twink. I should clearly hit on him repeatedly so that he'll get disgusted enough to let me go. Yeah, <laughs> it's backfires spectacularly. Yes, that's one of my two favourites, but my other favourite trope that this show does is the one where somebody, i.e. the main character, has a secret of something grandly self-sacrificing and painful that they did <laughs> oh, yes. for someone who doesn't appreciate it because they don't know about it. They endure you know, social ostracism and teasing and terrible physical pain behind a wall of flippancy and then there is a devastating reveal scene <laughs> near the end. And this is exactly what Rishi was talking about when she said, if it can go hard and melodramatic, it will. Because that scene is so fucking extra. And it's about yes, it like 45 minutes long, I feel like. Oh yeah. It, <laughs> it's just like a third party. What makes it devastating is he's a third party yelling oh, yeah. at In Jiang Chang's face while <laughs> Wei Xian, who has conveniently swooned Hot to out. avoid the melodrama, is cradled in his husband's arms. And his husband, Mr. Micro Expressions, weeps openly over him. <laughs> I do want to know so the only times that Lamonji cries on the show because he is a man composed solely of micro expressions. So to see him cry yeah. is like watching like a waterfall break through a glacier, and it's very yeah. weird and like off not off-putting, it's delightful, but it's like startling when you see it. Are about Wei Wuxian, which is just it is, yeah. it's such trash, and I love yeah. it so Once much. he cries in the rain. And he, <laughs> crying in the umbrella in the rain scene, wherein Wei Wuxian has sacrificed himself and his reputation to save the remnants of the murderous clan from a genocide, and he challenges Lan Wangji to remember the promise of justice that they made together as boys, and don't stop me, Lan Wangji, but if anyone has to kill me, I'm glad it will be you. <laughs> and Lan Wangji, standing in the rain with an umbrella, turns slowly aside and weeps single a single perfect. tear and then lets the umbrella fall as his love rides away <laughs> towards disaster without him and allows the rain to swallow his tears. <laughs> it's a good show. Yeah. This brings me to my favorite trope, which is the amount of times that Wei Yushan swoons into Lan Wangji's arms, which is <laughs> many. Listen, if you were so dating... Lenjen, would you not also find yes, every it. excuse to swoon into his arms? Yes, absolutely. He's a lot more buff 
in the book. Yeah. Which like, is what you get for hiring a 22-year-old. Right. To play your, like, male romantic lead who is meant to be buff. Yeah, but also he's, like, swathed in white he's, That's time. what I was going to say. Like, he's wearing we big know. robes the whole time. You can't really see how buff he is. So probably, like, Wei Wishan once, like, legitimately swooned into his arms once and went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's so buff. I have to swoon into his arms, like, every five minutes now. There's some sort of running joke on the show that is, like, half picked up on that I assume is a detail from the novel that like the entire land sect is known for having like very strong arms and upper body strength <laughs> like but it's like they- because they get punished by having to stand on their hands and write the lines while doing a handstand well no it's, it's the freaking holding the sticks yeah like they get punished by kneeling kneeling often tragically in the snow yeah. with no uphill both ways having to hold sticks They're at arm's the, length the for like stoic and scholar hours. gymnast clan basically and and this yeah, is for yeah, some yeah, reason yeah. canonical because this show they is would definitely trash. be told to like do planks as well oh. they'd be but, like planks and push-ups all the time yeah. super buff can i can i make a bid for our ladies corner though yes, yes go, go ahead because this show there are zero sensible human beings in this show Apart from some of the ladies. True, true. And Freya, Wen Ching, the doctor. I do love Wen Ching. So Wen Ching is a character who, among all the characters, is one who is in a very difficult and complicated situation in that she is technically on the side of who I keep on referring to as the Fire Nation because of the way that they are (laughs) color-coded. She she Um, is like nice Azula. Yeah, she's like Azula, except more complicated and with a conscience and basically just wants to protect her baby brother who is sickly and not very useful and so she has to be of use and so she makes herself of use to the evil lord who in the first half of the show is the villain and trying to take over the world and fire nation attacks blah 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 and but she is also a doctor so all of her cultivation techniques are completely not medical mostly to do with sticking like pins and needles. Into I think people. sometimes she also, but also and hitting them on the back until they cough up blood. They, hitting them on the back until they cough blood. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff, but also herbs. You know. She just sort of like taps powder gently onto people's open wounds, <laughs> and that is yeah. that is communicated by the show as she fixed them. It's all good now. She Listen, she's just that competent. Now. Is what's going she on there. But she also her. has the ability to do like very complicated soul transplants, which we just don't see. Yeah. But you she's know. also tiny and has the most ginormous, like, Bambi eyes. She's beautiful. Yeah, the actress but, like, is gorgeous. But, like, she's so stern. It's really funny to me because she's, like, adorable and tiny, but then the most badass mm-hmm. simultaneously. Yeah. And, she, and she gets one of the most tragic character arcs and oh, is yes, also, you does. know, self-sacrificing and noble. And her moment of self-sacrifice is the one time the show managed to make me cry because she's amazing. Same, yep. same. Yep. With all of the melodrama, that was the moment where I was like, and I cry very easily too, but like the, <laughs> I was like. I don't, so this was impressive. I was like, oh no, this this can't, this can't be. And there is like maybe one other character who gets a happy ending on this show, like an unambiguously happy ending. And that is a bit character who is one of the handmaidens of the Bingley character, um, Mian Mian who stands up for Wei Wuxian in the middle of this disaster of a plot and gets to have a happy husband and baby of her own. The show does not have tons of women in it, I will note. The the one female character to rule them all, though, who we didn't talk about in detail earlier, is Madame Yu. Madame Yu, though. Madame Yu, though. 
Yeah, and we said we would let her step on our neck. She actually steps on someone's oh, neck. Oh, yeah, great. She does. It's a very, like, yes, confusing sexually scene <laughs> because she's just, like, slapping down somebody else's mistress and being like, how dare you? I will ste- literally step on your face. She yeah. also yeah. has an iconic line while she is, once again, I cannot emphasize this enough, literally stepping on this person's face where she <laughs> she echoes an insult that this person dared to throw at her about yes. five seconds earlier. And just sort of coldly goes, you are the inferior and I am the superior. She also canonically has a magical whip. So yes, she is in the shape of a snake bracelet. Oh, it's amazing. And is known as the violet spider. Like a lot. And she has twin murder handmaidens who step people. I think, you know, a lot is sort of revealed about the author, I feel like, in the creation of a character like this. Because it's, I would say it's too much, but she's flawless. She's flawless. She's amazing. Yes. Gosh. So did we want to uh, wrap up by doing a little bit of talking about other sea dramas that we have loved, just like very briefly? I think each of us had one we wanted to shout about so we can take yes. a quick shout Yes. So I think we we mentioned briefly, and we have mentioned a few times, Nirvana in Fire. And to me, this does sit in the middle of the spectrum between Guardian and Nirvana in Fire Mm, in terms of quality. So Nirvana in Fire is a much, much better historical drama show on every metric apart from the gay longing. Uh, But it has similar themes of coming back from being presumed dead after being deeply wronged and teaming up with your childhood boyfriend to get revenge. Except in the case of No Under in Fire, it's a delicate scholar Slytherin who Count of Monte Cristo's his way through the court yep. and then works to put his noble prince BFF on the throne. Yeah, who does it not is... realise this is his childhood ex-boyfriend. No, so the identity porn is strong with this one. It's very strong. It is very well written. It is very well acted. It is sumptuous. It's a fantastic show on all measures. It's very long. You will dehydrate yourself and like yep. lose all of your feelings to the cloud and then have them shoveled back into you really hard and then you'll need to go and talk to some people about it but i would recommend that one unreservedly it's very good it's very good it also strongly um encourages one of alex's favorite fanfic tropes which is the magical healing cock because canonically the slytherin has too little yang energy wait that's yeah canon in this show oh yeah Yes. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Not that not how you would apply the extra yang, Roshi. Where, like that is that is Where do you think that I got the idea and told Freya why to write that one fic? <laughs> I assumed this was this was some sort of delightfully horny fan and I am very, very glad that it's just in the show. Nope. nope. The the pair of them have a secret tunnel between their two residences for quote unquote plotting purposes. Yeah. yeah. It's a good show. With cushions in it. It's full of cushions. Yeah. Asking for a friend, where do I find this show? Uh, Vicky is the best place. Noted. Noted. Um, It's a lot. It's a very complicated, long show that will make you cry more than Untamed. Yeah. And you will again spend the first three to five episodes being like, who? It makes no sense. Who what? What who? Anyway. Just just go with it. My sea drama of choice um, is the full-length version of Empresses in the Palace, which is a harem court drama full of intrigue and murder and poison and scheming and backstabbing and so many beautiful ladies it's all about the ladies there is a lot of dubious consent and bad things around childbirth and pregnancy though so warnings about those but i think that's all on youtube the translations are questionable yeah but it's worth it yeah (laughs) 
Uh, mine here, it says here in the dot points, Alex explains, oh, my general. I think that I'm actually going to veer away from oh, my general. Okay. As we have been talking uh, and occasionally mentioning Guardian, I want to mention Guardian again because it is it is my garbage trash show of my heart. And also- This is the serpent's favorites corner. So you yes, do your favorite. Yes. And also I love one trope and that trope is yep. one half of the ship is stoic <laughs> and reserved and expressionless and the other and half- beautiful. And beautiful. And King of the Ghosts, and the other half yep. of the ship is a slut, just like a flirty, flirty slut, and like drapes himself the all over lollipops. and like licks flesh-colored lollipops at the reserved one, like constantly, and uh, drapes Which himself. Which was apparently a thing that the censors asked for to replace the cigarettes. Wait, oh my really? god. <laughs> Yes, because they didn't want that. I remember this. Yes, because they were like, we don't want cigarettes. So the show was like, what if we have him eat lollipops instead? Then backfire. (laughs) And then he eats lollipops in the most sexual manner I've ever seen uh, and drapes himself all over the reserved one constantly. And you can see the micro expressions again of the reserved and stoic one. uh, As who wears arm garters? Who wears arm garters, which is fantastic, and just like quietly panics every time this person flirts with him. It's a very good it's a very- And there's also a lot of identity porn in that yes. one. Yes. Yeah. So I love one trope and it's that. <laughs> Roshi. That was... So the one I was going to talk about, it's not so much a favorite as sort of a sentimental one. It also reveals how very behind mm. on, on C-dramas I am. So this was... I think it came out in the late 90s or maybe the early 2000s. So the last time I watched this, I was a child. But it was the yep. biggest show of that year in China. Um it is, I don't even know what the official English translation is. In Chinese, it's called Huanzhu Gege, which um, roughly translates to the returning Pearl Princess. And it's the story of two sworn sisters who get adopted into the imperial family. And um, one of them is actually the real secret daughter of the emperor. And the other one is her shitty friend with no impulse control, who, <laughs> who like sort of stumbles upon her randomly and like is an orphan and doesn't know her real birthday so when they become sworn sisters she decides i will have your birthday because we're we're together now we go together now we're best friends now and of course she is dramatically wounded in a ridiculous (laughs) manipulated situation um and the emperor who has been seeking his lost daughter is like why are you so familiar when were you born? And she gives the other <laughs> girl's birthday. And he's like, you must be my lost daughter. Um, and they're <laughs> taken into the palace. They There's a stoic love interest and a slightly less stoic love interest. I honestly don't remember any of the men on the show very well. Um, and uh, it launched all of the people, like the entire younger generation of the cast into superstardom. Um, and was, I would say, weirdly, like maybe the inverse of Untamed in that the main character is definitely like a straight up wuxia heroine who has found herself in a palace drama and starts creating trouble wherever she goes. Um, and nice. and I remember it's it's got lots of flaws, but I feel like it did it did set some sort of template, and it is a little it's doing a lot of the same genre mixing. And I honestly like had not thought about any sort of queer subtext 
for it. But now that I'm talking through it, like they are very much in the mold of one of them is sort of more stoic and reserved and like the bloom of perfect, like imperial Chinese womanhood. And the other one is just trash in a delightful way <laughs> yeah, uh, yep yeah and um and look i love i love that alex's favorite troupe can work very well in fam slash pairings yes. except a glinda and alphaba oh yeah yes, definitely yeah, yeah. that is there yeah. is a lot of fem slash versions of Lan Wangji and Wei Wushan um, because I think Roshi, you were talking a little bit about how Lan Wangji translates so cleanly into again the perfect Chinese daughter, and uh, yeah, like the expectations. I think the the sort of um, like I mean, part of it is just on a completely shallow level. What I love about Chinese period dramas, especially from like the type that Untamed is playing in, where I'm pretty sure the costumes are from like two to three different dynasties and everybody who makes these shows is just like what looks good in combination and then let's make it look a little bit better and there's nothing particularly historically accurate but everybody sort of dresses the same like there isn't actually a dramatic difference between how your robes look if you're a man or a woman and it's 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 really lovely to see on screen on just like a totally shallow level and I think a lot of the sort of expectations of reputation and everything um, translate really well across, even though you're in a very like separated and gendered society. Dear listeners, we have been shouting about the Untamed now in our group chat for a solid month now, and we have been shouting for over an hour uh, to you, <laughs> and we could probably go on for another month more, but we, we really could. should end this episode. Thank you so much, dear yes, listeners. Thank you. Come join Thank us. You. It's on Netflix. Join us in sea drama hell. Thank you so much for letting me crash this was absolutely delightful it was wonderful to have you roshi thank you so much hello everybody thanks for joining us for this episode of be the serpent a podcast of extremely extremely deep literary merit thanks again to roshi for agreeing to come and make high-pitched noises about the current show of all our hearts and squishy feelings places As for you, darling listeners, we make no apologies if you now start watching the show or ingesting the story in one of its other forms, but we would be absolutely delighted to hear about it. So feel free to make your own high-pitched noises in our direction anytime. For the next episode, two weeks hence on February 12th, we're heading through that mysterious door in the attic and discussing portal fantasies, everything from Wonderland to Neverland to more modern-day takes on the genre. So if you have a friend who might be into that kind of thing, Maybe give them a heads up. One of our tentpoles will be the novella Every Heart a Doorway by Seanan Maguire. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? As ever, you can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail.com and we're at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. Or come and check out the fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of the podcast website. If you do enjoy the podcast and would like to support us further, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash serpentcast, or you could consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes so we can reach new listeners and continue to spread our gay necromantic agenda. And by the way, we think you're worth waiting for. Maybe not for 16 years, but something close to it.